Robin. Extra strength Tylenol capsules laced with a cyanide are linked with five deaths in Chicago, and that number might be changed to six. Some of the bottles from the affected shipment have been found in Florida. Eckert Drug Stores in Clearwater reports that they pulled off them off the shelf within hours of hearing about the potentially deadly pills. But as Chris Abel reports, none have been found in Central Florida. Hello everyone, my name is Aaron and I'm joined again today with Vlad and what you just heard was a news clip from the 1982 Tylenol murders in Chicago. Hi, how are you guys doing today? I hope you're doing wonderful. Um, now I will start off with saying when I decided to look into the subject, I did not anticipate just how information heavy this topic really was. So there's a lot of stuff I'll gloss over, a lot of stuff I'll completely mm -hmm. leave out. Uh, trust me, I've heard it, but if you really want to look into it more, I highly recommend you do. There's a lot of interesting information out there, especially with some of the suspects. Um, but today, I decided to try something new, and hopefully, you know, if it uh, sticks, if we like this, we're going to go ahead and uh, try to do a little two truths and a lie kind of deal. You know, see if uh, you can pick out what the lie is, you know, while we go through the story and, uh, you know, see if you can get it right. So, Vlad, as always, you know, I did the research on this story and you know nothing about it, more or less, right? Nothing at all. All right. So, you get to play the game today for the first time. Two truths and a lie. First sentence. The original name for Tylenol, a.k.a. acetaminophen, as we all know it, was originally called paracetamol before it was introduced to the United States in 1955. Okay? Second one. In 1982, the murders uh, that were carried out tanked Johnson & Johnson's stock so bad, and they handled the incident so poorly that it took over a decade to recover you know, public trust and interest again. They almost failed as a company. You know? And then... You know, there was that the murders led to an ever-present and highly recognizable part of our lives as consumers, the tamper-proof seal. You know, the, the things you'll find on all your medicine, you know, most consumer products, um, you know, the reason why they're glued box, you know, ends, the reason why, you know, caps are always covered in a plastic wrap. You know, this incident is what led to all of that, you know, and... Um, Coincidentally, is also a big reason why, you know, the ice cream liquor dilemma that happened last year uh, was taken so seriously, you know, was because of what we're seeing now, you know. So, of the three statements I just told you, what do you think? I think it's the middle one. You I think it's the middle one? Yeah, I don't think it, um, I don't think it affected uh, the cells of Tylenol too heavy. Um, I, I, I'm just kind of... I mean, seven people died, man. Yeah, seven people did die. But I'm just going to go ahead and assume that um, the majority of people maybe didn't hear about this. I, like I said, I don't know. No, I mean, you just pulled up a news clipping from Florida. That is a good point. All right. You know, yeah, and, and as we're going to get into, this wasn't something that nobody knew. Overnight, everyone in America was freaking out. So, you're still going to stand with uh, the second one? I'm going to stand. I'm, I'm going to stick with it, yeah. All right. The second one's a lie. All right. He thinks the second one's a lie. Whatever you guys think, we are about to find out. So, I decided, you know, get a little, little quick information of what Tylenol is and, you know, the common drug we all know it, know it as. Just glance through some information, you know. Um, 
It was the, the chemical was first introduced, you know, to the United States in 1955 by McNeil Laboratories, a family-owned pharmaceutical manufacturer who at the time they had two brothers who took over that year in 1955 uh, where one of them learned about a chemical that had not been introduced into the market yet called paracetamol. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, um, they knew immediately though that this was going to compete with Bayer aspirin. Aspirin was kind of the original go-to drug for everything that happened but there was, you know, different complications that could happen from long-term use or an overabuse of it or reliance on it. Um, you know, so they decided that they're going to market this as, um, as acetaminophen. That's what they changed the name to and marketed it for children to reduce fever. So that way that they would not be competing with Bayer. Um, you know, it was packaged in a little red fire truck looking box uh, with a slogan for little hotheads, which is honestly kind of adorable. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's whenever it was named stamped Tylenol. The name Tylenol um, actually uh, comes from uh, the original chemical name, which I am, I'm going to be honest, I'm staring at it now. I thought I could say it. I can't even say it. But the name, you know, the, the, the original name Paracetamol, the current name Acetaminophen, and its brand name Tylenol all comes from its chemical name. You know, it's obviously I, I will write it down in the notes, but it's this oh, guy it's right here. Right yeah, there? it's that long one. What the hell? Yeah, it is really hard to, to, right, to, to say that one. So <laughs> I'm not going to try. Yeah, me neither. But, you know, Tylenol, as we know, you know, we, we've discovered that is it is known as an analgesic and an antipyretic, which means uh, no pain or, or reduced pain and reduced fever. Two things we commonly use it for today. Of course. You know, and it was, like I said, whenever uh, it was released, it was advertised to reduce pain and fever, but it is also known to relieve symptoms of allergies, cold, cough, headache, and the flu. You know, and in 1959, Johnson & Johnson bought McNeil Laboratories, and in 1960, uh, 1960 made Tylenol available over-the-counter. And that's whenever they really, you know, pushed it for everyone. It wasn't just, you know, child medicine for fever and all that. Um, so, you know, they got an amazing product. And over the time, you know, up into the up to the eighties, Tylenol pretty much became, you know, the cure-all drug. You know, obviously it didn't cure cancer or nothing like that. But for every minor ache and pain, fever, whatever, Tylenol was your go-to. You know, and, and everyone relied on it. And, you know, uh, Johnson Johnson at this point had built, you know, a brand that people could trust and rely on. You know, there, there was nothing to worry about. But that all changes on September 29th, 1982. And this is probably the most tragic victim in, in all of this. There's a... Uh... Sorry, it, it actually affected me a little bit whenever I was first reading into this. The first victim is 12 years old Mary Kellerman, who at 6.30 a.m. Uh, woke up not feeling too well. She had a little bit of fever, sore throat, you know, kids get sick, it happens. Like a dutiful dad, uh, her father decided, you know what, let's give her some Tylenol. And I, I should be specific because I didn't write into my notes to try to save time. All of the pills that are involved in this case were extra strength Tylenol, not just the normal Tylenol, not children's Tylenol, nothing like that. It's extra strength Tylenol. So okay. if I ever just refer to Tylenol in, in reference to the case, 
it's extra strength specifically because I know there's people who are nitpicky about details. I am one of them, so. <laughs> he went ahead and gave her one of these, you know, extra strength Tylenol pills, you know, and told her, you know, you're going to stay home from school, you know, you're just going to focus on getting better today, you'll go back tomorrow. You know, he go, the father goes back to lay down and that's whenever he can hear her daughter, you know, go to the bathroom. Okay. No big deal. Then he hears a collapse. Oh. And he goes to the bathroom, knocks on the door, checks to see if she's okay. And he gets no response. And when he opens the door, he would find that she was in full cardiac arrest by the time the ambulance came. You so, know. so whatever was she in the title was heavy and you're you're gonna see just how heavy it was and like i said there's a lot of information so pretty soon i'm about to just start skimming through a lot of information so if i miss over something or i say anything incorrect i do apologize um but like i said i i underestimated just how packed you know information packed the, the subject matter was but yes she would um have uh she would be found in full cardiac arrest by the time the ambulance came and around 10 a.m. she would be pronounced dead. Nothing you can do. She was the first. Around 12, you know, midday, in the same area, Arlington Heights in Chicago, 27-year-old postal worker Adam Janus would become the next victim. Adam, uh, you know, wasn't feeling too well on this day himself, but there was also something else. It was his anniversary. And he decided to stay home and would, you know, go about making plans and he would, he would plan to relax in his bed and take a couple of Tylenol pills and soon he would be found unresponsive and convulsing and later would be declared dead. Around this time, you know, shortly a little bit later uh, in the day, 27-year-old Mary Reiner would be the next victim, having given birth to her fourth child in, you know, just a week before, six days before, she was still very sore, you know, and still in a lot of pain, you know, from, you know, giving birth. And she would, this was the day that she was let home from the hospital. She decided to take a couple of Tylenol pills, but much like Mary and Adam, within minutes, the poison took effect. An ambulance was called and Mary collapsed and convulsed around this time she would later be pronounced dead at the hospital. So these are three deaths that people died within, you know, just a few minutes, you know, or at least was on the verge of death within a few minutes. It's very fast acting. But so far, no one's got any fucking clue. You know, these are three isolated incidences that happened within hours. I believe um, more, more or less all these patients uh, went to different hospitals to be treated, so... Again, there's a lack of communication that could happen here. Were they all in the same, like... They were all within the same general area of Chicago. Okay. But they were not, like, neighbor to neighbor to neighbor. So, yeah. yeah. Nothing to be confused there. Um, and here's the second biggest tragedy. Around 5 p.m., the Janus family, after receiving the news of Adam's death, you know, they come back to his house to mourn. His brother, Stanley Janus would, you know, he also, I read, he suffered from back pain and all that. And um, he would go to, you know, relax and try to deal with the morning, and he would take some of the extra strength Tylenol himself, two more pills for him. 
And around this time is when his wife would call the fa uh, her family and give them the news. And then she would take the Tylenol herself to help relax. You know? Moments later, Stanley began to experience the same symptoms as the previous victims. He began to fall down. He collapsed. And this is when Teresa would call the ambulance. You know, obviously you're freaking out. Your brother-in-law just died and now your husband is, you know, about to die. It looks like you're just, you don't know what's happening. All you know is it's convulsing. Shortly after she called, she would also collapse. And by the time the ambulances arrived, you know, very shortly after, keep in mind, they were just there earlier that day. So they were very close by, you know, and, um, you know, everyone's completely confused. Um, some things that they noticed, you know, by the time uh, the, it was a fire chief, I can't remember his name, I didn't write it down. Um, he would stop by and he would comment on how uh, he noticed that the streets were packed, um, that there were four people working on, you know, Stanley and four people working on Teresa. And they noticed that by the time something happened to Stanley, it would happen to Teresa just moments later, you know, the exact same things. And they're completely baffled. Yeah. Uh, of course, rightfully so, they're confused. Um, with everything that happened to Stanley, like I said, what happened to Teresa, um, and, th and then we're going to get introduced to Dr. Kim. He was the man who gave the bad news about Adam to his family. A uh, nurse rushed to him, uh, giving news, uh, that he later determined that the family's victims fell to poison. He called experts until, uh, one day, uh, until one Dr. John Sullivan was able to determine it was likely cyanide. Um, he was able to, to come to these conclusions whenever the nurse uh, told him that the family had come back. You know, reasonably you're thinking, okay, there might be, you know, some, you know, some other, like, heartache or something, you know, just from the stress of the situation. That's where they, the nurse explained that, no, it was the brother and the brother's wife. And so now they're completely confused because these are three young individuals. They're healthy in the prime of their life. What's got them to collapse? It's because of these three that you know they were able to get really proactive and really get ahead of, uh, of the case and figure it out and uh, it's going to be a, a specific nurse that we're going to talk about later who kind of helped is a big player who put all the pieces together um so like i said dr kim you know tried calling several experts until he reached one dr john sullivan and was able to determine that it was likely cyanide based off the symptoms uh that that dr kim was explaining so blood was drawn to be tested by the, by the family. And this is the nurse I was talking about. Nurse Helen Jensen would later figure out, you know, after talking to the family to figure out what happened, she discovered the common link. She discovered it was Tylenol. But we'll, we'll get to that point later. While this is all going on, 31-year-old Mary McFarland took some Tylenol for a headache at her job and would collapse trying to plead for help from her coworkers in their break room. You know, a, a one detective... Uh, I believe John Pichos can't read my own handwriting for a second was now um, becoming involved in the case he went to the uh, he went to the basement of the Janus house to search for more clues it was around this time that nurse Jensen found you know the Tyl Tylenol bottle missing six pills in the uh, upstairs bathroom cabinets hmm. uh, they were sent there you know by public health officials to investigate what was going on um the reason Detective John Pichos went, you know, downstairs, uh, like I said, was to, that they believe cyanide may be involved. So when they get down to the basement, he and his men discovered 
um, that Adam seemed to be a metal worker of some sorts, whether it was his job or hobby, he never made that conclusion right then and there. But it was evident by all the material and everything that was in the basement that he was a metal worker. And one thing to note about metalworking, especially around this time, is that certain polishing chemicals contained cyanide. However, whenever they investigated, none could be discovered. They, they found no cyanide there. So obviously it wasn't Adam. He didn't accidentally dose himself or anything, you know. Um, I almost forgot where I was in my notes. <sighs> Sorry, it's just, I, I just, reading over these facts, you know, with seven people, even a family, such a young child, you know, and just... It's crazy. Yeah. It, it's crazy. God, is it crazy? Just so many people, and it's just how quick they died. It was minutes from taking it to ingesting it, and then gone. Ugh, sorry, sorry. So, let me find where I was in my notes. So, uh, this is where uh, they found nothing. So then uh, uh, Detective Pichos returns to the hospital with the Janus bottle, uh, the Tylenol um, bottle yeah. that uh, he received from you know the nurse. They didn't really interact, so I, I didn't really explain how. But from what I can determine, uh, Jensen and Pichos have not interacted at this point. He just got the bottle. She's the one who found it. That's all I know. Um, and so he was able to also receive the Kellerman bottle, the one from 12-year-old Mary Kellerman, uh, where luckily enough her paramedics were wise enough to collect the Tylenol bottle as possible evidence. Yeah. So good on them. You know, great for the forward thinking. Um, it was also around this time that deputy, med deputy medical examiner uh, Donahue walked back to work. He lived close by within walking distance because he had forgotten something at work. When he had arrived, he walked in and was informed something strange was happening. You know, This is whenever he was beginning to get filled in. Around this time, 9.30 p.m., 35-year-old Paula Prince landed from a flight. She was a flight attendant. Mm -hmm. Uh, with a very long layover. Uh, she went on her way home. She went to the store, grabbed some extra strength Tylenol, and, you know, she arrived home and was beginning to unwind. She was getting ready for her night, trying to relax. She popped, two, uh, she popped, I believe, one pill of Tylenol. And she would not be found until much later. Is it, it, it's kind of tragic how close she could have been to surviving, mm -hmm. and, and you'll you'll see what I mean when we get there. All right. Um, switching back to Nurse Jensen, um, she would later m finally meet up with with Pichos and another one of his um, um, officers that he was working with, and she explained that she believed that it was the Tylenol. Of course, we know that she was correct. Pichos, however really kind of dismissed her and it was really in a time especially where you know it was the men who worked so you know kind of yeah you know we're not listening to women speak you know it was that mentality it's sad to say you know especially with the fact that she was right yeah she was right from the get-go i mean she also worked in the field so exactly if anybody would know it would be her well you'd be surprised poison isn't really their forte and and that does come up later on um so like i said she would be proven right um, when uh, Pichos called Donahue and, and he was told to examine the bottles. In both bottles, you know, the pills seemed fine at this point. Later on, they won't be, and that'll be a, 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 key, a key evident point that proves that this was cyanide later on. At this point, they looked fine. 
However, in both bottles, it was very apparent of the scent of almonds. Now, um, uh, cyanide, Jesus, I am stuttering so bad. Sorry. So cyanide can, uh, it, it gives off an almond scent. However, there is something unique that I, I discovered. Uh, you have to have a specific gene to be able to smell this. Really? Yeah. And um, between 20 to 40% of the population does not have this gene. They can't smell it whatsoever. Hmm. So yeah, it, it was pretty interesting. Um, so obviously, Pichos had the gene because uh, he was able to smell it. Donahue was able to determine that that is uh, cyanide. Pichos then checked the lot numbers, you know, the batch numbers, and both of the bottles, the Kellerman and the Janus bottles, were MC2880. That is the lot number that they came from. And at around 1 a.m. Uh, September 30th, blood, the blood work returned to Dr. Kim showing massive amounts of cyanide between a hundred and a thousand times the lethal dose. That is why, a big reason why it was so fast acting was because it was just so much overkill in, in these little capsules. It was around this time that chief toxicologist uh, Michael Schaefer got the bottles and noticed whenever he poured them out that 10 pills looked different. They were swollen with a gelatinous substance inside, not with the acetaminophen powder that is used by Johnson & Johnson. They determined that the pills were poisoned within 48 hours of ingestion, which means that the killer must have uh, been very close to the time of putting these on the shelves to whenever they were bought. So that means that somebody went in and tampered with the bottles. Um, it's very, very unlikely that this came from Johnson Johnson with this time window. However, we still can't rule anything out at this point. Yeah. Um, around 10 a.m. Uh, uh, September 30th, a press conference was held to warn the public about Tylenol, even suggesting to take it off the shelves temporarily. A reporter seemed to have gotten a tip early and called Johnson & Johnson directly to ask about Tylenol sales volume, setting off Johnson & Johnson to take control of the situation. Their damage control was actually so impressive that it is still taught in business schools today. Really? So yes, you were actually right. Oh, nice. Yes, you were right. It took less, and I'll talk more about it later, but long story short, it took less than a year for them to recover. Huh. Less than a year. Really? And, and yeah, like That's I said. That's very impressive. Mm-hmm. But, um, like I said, it, 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 their damage control was amazing. It's still taught in business schools, but that didn't mean that they didn't suffer because of this. Johnson & Johnson's stock dropped overnight from 37% to 7%. Now, over a course of a few months or even a few years, it's tragic, but it's not shocking. Overnight is a complete catastrophe. You know, you know, no one in America at this point felt safe about taking Tylenol. This became widespread news overnight. You know, you know, no, um, there. I read there were many reports of people. Um, they were destroying or throwing away pills long before a recall was take uh, was asked. So. That'll play into some information later. Um, bottles and shipments were getting pulled and many went to emergency rooms, like many people went to emergency rooms afraid that they could be poisoned. This was a nationwide uh, epidemic at this point. Hmm. You know, everyone was afraid of the most minor symptoms because seven people dropped overnight. You know, in one day, they, they're just gone from taking Tylenol. Um, it was discovered that there were uh, two other contaminated bottles they had lot numbers 1910MD and 1801MA. 
thus virtually eliminating Johnson & Johnson as the source of the problem. So, you know, it didn't come from their manufacturing facilities. It wasn't a bad batch because these were coming from completely different manufacturing centers. So it obviously wasn't no orchestrated events, you know, on Johnson Johnson's part. Yeah, so it must have been somebody who was working for like yes. a store. Yes, and because like I explained, the very short shelf life of cyanide in these, pa in these capsules also made it highly unlikely of an orchestrated event by a group. However, I'll, I'll mention it briefly, there was a theory very early on that the crime was perpetrated by a um, white-collar crime syndicate hell-bent on tanking Johnson & Johnson's stock. So, that was a theory that was floating around, but there's no evidence to support it. Yeah. Um, it is also around this time that criminal profile of John Douglas. Now, that is going to be a very important name, not just for this case, but for many cases, and, and if our audience, you know, recognizes that name, and the long and short of it is that he is a very well-respected and well, uh, well-informed individual that worked for the FBI. Uh, is very um, uh, what, what I'm forgetting the word. Forgetting the word. Uh, He's a very celebrat celebratorized figure in, you know, FBI history and all that because of his involvement with just you know, cases like this and others that he's worked on. However, this was very early on in John Douglas's career before he made a name for himself. Um, he determined, after looking at the evidence, that this was a possible act of terrorism, hell-bent on just creating chaos, that the individual probably suffered from a series of failures in his life with probable records of complaints and injustices against them gravitating and he would gravitate to positions of authority but would struggle to keep a job. Most likely this individual would have a psychiatric record and periods of hopelessness and depression. Likely suffered, uh, likely to suffer an extremely stressful event just around the time of the deaths and would probably talk openly about the case to anyone who would join. So pretty you know, well, you know, what I think, you know, is a well thought out uh, profile of an individual given what you know, yeah. which is not a lot, yeah. you know, you know, so, so far, what do you think? What I mean, that, that sounds, that's what I was thinking. It sounds like a person who just wanted to, you know, mess with people yeah, up. But, I mean, I mean the, the case as a whole. Oh, it's all awful. Yeah, I mean, I mean none dude. of these people deserve it. It was just, you know, some... It's amazing how, like, such a little thing, like, one... You would never think. Like, one guy could have just, like, poisoning all this medicine. But it's but the thing is, too, it's also so impersonal. It's yeah. not a stabbing. It's not a shooting. You know, it, it's nothing torture-related. Honestly, this guy didn't know who's, who he was going to kill. It it didn't, but at the same time, it looks like it didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter who died, just as long as people died. That's yeah, all you cared about. Yeah, and it's just that that level of depravity just blows my mind. Um, I just, I don't know. Like I said, this was the point where I really just had to like walk away for a second for me personally. Because like I said, I like I had told you how I researched this. I, I'll always look up several websites and news articles um, just to see, you know, just what the general information is. If there's any conflicting evidence or whatever. And then from there, once I got a pretty good idea of how the case goes, yeah. you know, I'll write down you know, the, the gist of the information so I can bring it across in a timely manner. But this case just 
I, it was so much more than I realized. And, and it really gets you to consider, you know, the measures we go for now, you know, with, with all of our stuff, you I know. Mean, it makes me wonder, like, who's handling your food? Who's exactly. handling, like... Who, who was there right before you, you know? It, it's... Oh, God. It, it, it's a lot, you know. You know, but from this point on, you know, is when we're really going to talk about the aftermath and how... Um, you know how uh, the public and Johnson and Johnson responded to the event. Yeah. So now you know it's really up to Johnson and Johnson to put on the face and get in front of this. You know, after you know all all that's been uh, happening. So this is whenever they really start you know working hard to build that trust back with people. You know they want to keep their customers' faith as any good business does. You know, this is when later on Tyler Nall was reintroduced after Johnson & Johnson worked with the FDA to create the tamper-resistant seal. This is where the start of all those little sealed packages come from, you know, on your peanut butter, on your medicine, you know, yeah. the, 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 the whole shebang, you know. Um, Tyler Nall had a three-part safety measure from this point on. The sealed cardboard box, the plastic-covered sealed cap, and the tamper-resistant seal. Um, and that, and they also went an extra step further. This is whenever they introduced uh, Tylenol in what they call the caplet form. That that's the little compressed, you know, powder pills that we also know today. Yeah. You know, it, it's not a it's not a gel cap. It's not a, a liquid gel that you'll find in some things. It, it's just a compressed powder pill. So that way, that the capsules that they were uh, providing all the medicine in cannot be uh, opened up and changed out and all that. So, you know, you get what you get, you yeah. know, it, it, this is what really first, you know, brought people's faith back into the, back into Johnson and Johnson. And honestly, they also, I mean, cause you're right. It does change the rest of like, it, it changes everything, I mean, you know, like, and it, it, it sucks that it takes tragedies like this for, for a lot of, you know, good things to happen. But the safety seal is, like, a great idea. That it is great. I'm surprised we haven't had earlier. And that, that's a uh, common argument that pops up with a lot of people is, you know, why can't we be pre, you know, you know, preemptive to a lot of stuff like this? Why does it take a tragedy to get to this point? Well, that's a, a combination of, um, you know, consumer reliability, have, you know, keep the same products that people enjoy. Don't change it up too much unless you need to. Because then people are going to be like, oh, what happened? You know, yeah. freak out. It doesn't, it doesn't always happen that way. But it's also, you know, keep business costs low. Because, again, you gotta, you got to realize that adding all this extra stuff does add cost, you know, to each little capsule. It may be three cents per thing that it adds overall. But this also takes up time. And three cents per bottle, and I'm throwing out random numbers, you know, they could ship out 185,000, you know, capsule of uh, these bottles. We'll multiply that by you know three cents, and that really starts showing you you know what they do, and then on top of it off what they sell per year, that's a massive amount of money that that's being put into this little safety measure. Yeah. So yeah, it, it takes a lot, and, and again, uh, there was, and for this argument specifically, there should they should have already had the safety seal on it and all this. There, I didn't write it down, but I feel it's worth mentioning that there was already like three hundred complaints for various products from Johnson & Johnson, not just Tylenol, 
where various substances were found in, you know, several other products. You know, it could be toenail clippings, it could be mold, and I found in one case a talcum powder. It could be um, uh, a metal sh uh, shavings. I, I was heard in one case uh, uh, tiny little capsules for children. Wow. Yeah. Like, th there was a lot of these, and it was just kind of pushed under the rug, and this was before they were forced to hand over all their, you know, all the complaints and files against them. You know, before this, um, they were able to kind of keep that to themselves and keep it on the download. So, the, you know, majority at large had no idea that these even happened. You know, so they weren't worried. They had faith in the product, you know. So, like I said, they, they, given what I know now, they should have had it beforehand. But, unfortunately, this was an incident where it took a tragedy for the, the, the company who was, I believe in a small degree is partially responsible mm -hmm. because they've had warnings before that it was possible to, to, to that shit can get in that can tamper with it um, it took a tragedy to, to fix this mistake you know it took seven people dying to, to make a, a change that would benefit everyone it, it sucks it yeah. really sucks but it happened because of it in 1983, Congress introduced the Tylenol Act, which made it a federal offense to tamper with consumer products and pushed to make all consumer products tamper-proof. Again, why I said it was such a big deal about all the fucking ice cream lickers, you know, who were opening up the Bluebell. Freaking love my Bluebell. Yeah. It's Texas staple. Yeah. You know, and you're just, you're just ruining it. You're ruining it for everyone, you know? Pretty much, yeah. Because you because you want to make fun of a joke. Well, who knows? You could have hepatitis and not know it, and now somebody else has it. And I pro and I know that's most likely not how it goes. I'm not a biology major, so don't fucking hate me, audience. But my point still stands. You yeah. know, you could contaminate it that way, and then somebody goes to buy that fucking ice cream, and now they got whatever you got, even if you knew or did not know. I mean, especially now, you know what's going on in the world. Yeah, dude. Oh my god. Either. But I, I don't want to. Yeah, that's a whole. Yeah, it's a whole another can of worms. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah, I'm sure whoever's listening to us already, you know, oh, they already, you know, they can date it. They can figure out what happened. Yeah. Coronavirus. If you really need to know, you know, and all how that affects everything and all the primary, you know, but hey, it's spots. All, it's but all yeah. connected. You know? Yeah, it's all connected. There's all reasons for it. But again, coronavirus is COVID-19 subject for another time. Um. So this, like I said, you know, 1983 Tylenol Act made everything better. Yeah. You know, Tyler, uh, Johnson Johnson got ahead and, and did all this before it was even uh, pushed into a bill. So they worked very hard to, to regain the, the, the public's faith in on that. They reintroduced it and said, here, we've gone the extra mile to make this safe for you. Please, you know, have faith in the product, you know, and, and it worked. Like I said, it really worked. Um, and, and uh, a friend of mine, his name is Darius, he is trying to become a business major and this was something he recently talked to me about. And it's part of the reason why I gained interest in doing this episode on the Tylenol murders, you know. So, you know, fast forward to 2009. The case is reopened, okay? The FBI, and we're gonna kinda jump back and forth between, you know, dates and timelines when we go into uh, suspects and all that. Yeah. But in 2009, the case was reopened. The FBI had a DNA fragment they believed belonged to the killer. They then compared it to suspects and 
the first suspects, in my honest opinion, is really outlandish. The evidence is very thin and honestly doesn't really hold up, in my opinion. It's all circumstantial and just like connecting dots that, you know, aren't even there, you know. But the first suspect is the infamous Unabomber, Theodore Ted Kaczynski. Wait, the Unabomber? The Unabomber. Huh. And that may be something we touch on in the future. However, I have a personal reason I may not want to. Um, no, no, no one I knew related uh, to the event is just, I don't know, Ted Kaczynski was something. I'm going to I'm gonna break down and be a little open about something real quick. Um, you know, I, like most people, especially in our generation, I've had psychologists, I've had shrinks. Unfortunately, Ted Kaczynski was a name that I heard very often between my parents and my child psychologists. And so just for me personally, it just carries a, a bit of a stain. Yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated by the case, but because of that weird, you know, strange personal connection for me, it just, it may be something that we hold off on talking about for a while, but it's definitely worth the research and is important to understand because of what he did and how it affected us at large. If there was ever a supervillain, Ted Kaczynski could be named one, you know. But, like I said, subject for another time. The reason, the, 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 so to get back on topic, the facts, the reason that people name him as a suspect is because he is an Illinois native and his first bomb was in Chicago. His first bombing. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and this is interesting too because there is a possible, possible <laughs> eighth victim named J. Adam Mitchell. He died in the same fashion uh, as the victims in Chicago. Uh, in his in his home in Sheridan, Wyoming, two months before the events happened in Chicago. Now, also to help the timeline for people who don't really know too much about the uh, Unabomber bombings and all that, pretty much all of that happened after this. So the Tylenol murders happened before the Unabomber was ever known or even started. Mm -hmm. So some people think that this might be his first attempt, you know, to incite mass panic. However, there was no letters ever sent out. He never tried to claim it. None of his usual signatures were really found in association with the case. Um, the reason why um, J. Adam Mitchell kind of stood out for people thinking that it was Ted Kaczynski was because Sheridan, Wyoming is a city that's along the way from Chicago to Ted's cabin in Montana. Hmm. It, it, you drive straight there, share, you'll pass through Sheridan, Wyoming. So a lot of people thought that between his trips back and forth while Ted was planning this, that he was testing it on some random dude in the middle of nowhere that wasn't going to be part of the epicenter. So that's where a lot of people think. I didn't really dig into, you know, the, the related incidences and the differences between his case because, like I said, it just didn't feel like – Ted just didn't feel like a, a suspect, you know, involved with this. I don't believe he, he's part of this. Yeah, you know, it's a little. I mean, it's a little too elaborate to think that like one guy. But, but I mean, who knows? No, I mean, Theodore Kaczynski proved that one guy can can do so much damage. So again, another reason why people believe because most people believe that this was the work of one man. They don't believe it was a network of criminals like they did at the very beginning. Yeah. So yeah, no, that it's kind of easy to point the finger at Ted. Yeah, but when you really look at it, when you really look at the details, I don't believe it was him. It could be just reaching. Yeah, it is. I I truly believe it's just reaching. However, a little more information. 
Another connection that people have with Ted in the case is that um, he has some weird fascination with wood. The name wood, forests, you know, he was big about being outdoors. He was big about nature, you know, over technology and, and, and industrial advancement. Um, and the reason why people point this out was because two of Johnson & Johnson's founders had the middle name wood. So, hmm. yeah. It, like I said, it was interesting. Um, Ted did agree to work with the uh, FBI on this case and agreed to give up his DNA voluntar voluntarily under one condition, that they would not auction off his items that were from the cabin. Um, he did not get that. They auctioned off his stuff, and he no longer was going to be compliant, but because of a warrant, he was forced to give it against his will. It didn't match up, you know. Yeah, who who would have thought? Um, the reason he wanted all of his stuff, you know, to not be auctioned off was was because he claimed that if the evidence did, uh, if the DNA test did wind up, you know, naming him, he would need the items that were going to be auctioned off to prove his innocence. So I mean, it makes sense. Theodore yeah. is known to be a brilliant man, but they just didn't listen, you know. Yeah. So I mean that's all for Ted. What do you th what do you think? Do you you think he could be the guy, or um, you think it's just reaching? I think it's just reaching. Yeah, it's just n nothing really there for him. Um, then we come to a second guy who I believe far more likely. However, I kind of think he's a tie between the third you know the third suspect that we're going to talk about. The second suspect we're going to talk about is one Roger Arnold. This was a dock worker who was. Noticeably really eager to talk about the case in a bar. Now, his eagerness in, the, in this particular bar caught the attention of some people, and somebody wound up calling the cops and pointed him out. Now, this is where it kind of devolves into tragedy, because there is one more, I'm going to say unrelated victim. There is one more person who died while all this was going on because of this, but it wasn't because of a Tylenol poisoning. Um... It's interesting to to point out too that Roger Arnold had a lot of interesting connections with some of the victims. Um, he worked at a jewel warehouse with Mary Rayner's father, the second victim, I believe. That no, was it the second or the third victim to die. Uh, it was the third. Um, and yeah, he worked with her father at a jewel warehouse. Adam Janus got his bottle. From a jewel convenience store, um, Rayner uh, purchased hers for across the street from Arnold's wife's psychiatric ward. So, his wife, where she was uh, being held, you know, for mental whatever, I didn't look into that. Right across the street is where uh, Rayner purchased hers. Um, it is also believed, but I couldn't confirm that the medicine that the Tylenol that um, Adam Janus bought came directly from the warehouse that he worked at. So, like I said, a lot of weird, interesting connections there. So, whenever the police start, you know, they take him in, they start looking into, you know, his, you know, his history, his background, his home, his car, and all that. They found how to, you know, how to in air quotes, you know, crime manuals. Uh, they were found in his home. Along with a chem, you know chemistry equipments you know such as beakers, ten test tubes, and they also found a bag of uh, of white powder. However, when they tested it, 
it was potassium carbonate, not potassium cyanide, like had been found with all the other pills. When asked about it, he said, uh, he pretty much said that he's not going to tell him what he was doing with it. He just said it was nothing illegal. So, really sketchy guy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, immediately kind of makes himself look like he could be the dude. Oh, yeah. No, it really does. However, there's one thing that kind of makes me feel that it wasn't him, and um, it's just how bold and brazen he is. You know, yeah, this dude's got a lot of problems. You know, a lot of evidence seemed to be stacking against him. He's de- he's denying everything. It just, it, it feels like he could do it, but I'm not completely sold that he did do it. At least not by himself, you know. Um, but there's no evidence that anybody ever conspired with him. There's no theories about that. So, yeah. you know, purely just me. But he definitely seems like... Definitely, at least, yeah. if for nothing else, an extremely shady character. He's very suspicious. I mean, if he hasn't done anything before, he's going to do it soon. Yeah. Well, and also, playing devil's advocate, he probably was denying anything of this because of some other personal illicit activities unrelated to the case. Yeah. Which is a big reason why he's going to want to deny, deny, deny. You know, he may not be involved, but it doesn't mean he didn't have something I mean, he to do with just, something else. He could have just been a fan of the guy who did it. He should, you know. Could have, but... But, you know, at the same time, you know, this was very shortly after. I don't, you know, this isn't like some cult following that, you know, you would see with some serial killers yeah. or, or the like. Um, but I figured that's why he was talking about it at the bar. He, he wanted to talk about the case. He yeah. really did. He was excited about it. He, he was. He, it caught his interest. And, and like, I'm not going to lie. Shit like that happens, you know, in our modern day. I'm, I want to talk about it. I want to look into it. Yeah. But I'm not going to be the first asshole that goes to the bar. It's like, man, have you heard about what's been going on in the news about how three people just died in some fucking weird suicide cult murder explosion thing? I, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You know, I'm going to find my friends who I know are, you know, in a similar kind of realm, you know, and I'll talk to it with them, give it some time. Maybe if it becomes more of a public discussion, I'll be more open about it. But I'm not going to be just some asshole at the bar trying to talk about, you know, something yeah. when, you know, one of the fucking things that Douglas talked about was that the dude would be eager to talk about the incident. That kind of nails the coffin in your case, dude. Yeah. I don't know. That's crazy, man. I don't know. Dude's an idiot. Yeah. Dude is an idiot. However, like I said so far, there's nothing truly linking him to the case yet. Yeah. You know, a lot of circumstantial stuff, but nothing to pin him with. So they bring him in where he refuses to take a polygraph. You know. Huh. Yeah, he, he just says, I'm not taking a polygraph. So they can't, you know, get him on anything like that. Once again, it could, could just be, you know... Yeah, again, something completely unrelated, but still, he was doing something shady. He just didn't want to be involved as much as possible. So, again, uh, little evidence, he was free to go. Eventually, he believed that the person who called the cops on him was one Marty Sinclair, the bar owner of the, you know, bar that the incident happened. So he believes that it's the, the Smarty character was the guy who, who sent him in. So he decides in 1983 he's going to start following Marty. Um, and he followed him to his bar. And then he waited for him to, you know, leave. Like, Marty went in. He waited for Marty to leave. He saw Marty leave. And that's the point where he walked up to him, came up, and, and pointed at him, saying, You turned me in and shot. Oh. Killing him. Here's the problem. After he shot him, he realized the man he killed was not Marty Sinclair. Oh. Instead, 
The man he killed was one very innocent bystander, John Stanisha. John Stanisha just happened to have a, you know, massive resemblance to Marty Sinclair. So it, was, it really just was a case of wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. And for this, Roger would be sent to jail. Um, uh, in 1915, uh, 1915, what am I saying? January 15th, 1984 is when Roger was tried and convicted of the murder. He was sentenced to 30 years. He only served 15 and this piece of shit died in 2008. So he can't even, he can't even talk about that. He can't even confirm or deny. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like I said, he seemed to me personally, he seems like a really strong candidate. However, there's enough in there that kind of muddies the water on my final opinion. Yeah. Um, so then we're going to come to our third and final, you know, suspect theory. This is the one that I really had to chop down a lot of information on because of just how much was, was uh, known about this dude when all this came out. But I'm going to try to go through a very short timeline and just, like I said, I'm going to gloss over a lot of information. It's definitely well worth it to invest your time to look into this character. If uh, you want to know more, because there is so much that, that I had to leave out and, and gloss over that really provides extra context to what's going on. So if you're ever confused by something, as I said, that's why. So on October 6th, 1982, you know, just a month, um, you know, just not even a month, just a few days after, you know, the, um, the poisoning, uh, Johnson & Johnson, they received a ransom letter, you know, asking for $1 million dollars. Uh, I did not write down the ransom the ransom notes because because it was a lot to write down. But the gist of it was this: who, this supposed person had uh, pretty much said that this was such an easy crime to commit. It cost me less than fifty dollars to even get started. I was able to do this in my car. I was in and out, and no one could even suspect me. If you're okay with the deaths and the public fiasco, do nothing. However, if you want to resolve the incident you know, give me $1 million and this is the account to put it in. Hmm. Okay. Um, there, what they did find a, a fingerprint on this, on this ransom note. And it was, they found out that this ransom note was sent by one James Lewis real quick, uh, to note, cause I didn't write it down in my uh, notes, but I know it off the top of my head. Um, the account number that they used was not James's. It was for him. It was for a different individual, whose name eludes me right now. Um, however, when this individual was questioned, because obviously the FBI can track your account number and figure out who the fuck you are, uh, they go to this individual where he's obviously surprised. He has nothing to do with it. Um, I, I, God, hit, me not knowing his name is actually kind of bothering, my, bothering me right now, but I know for a fact that he was known as like one of the last uh, Anne How uh, uh, Miller guys, not Anne Hauser, um, in the Miller family fortune that owned you know the Miller company. Yeah. However, he himself did not own the company. He owned a series of uh, rental lodges, I believe. Um, so obviously, they believe him. They don't. They don't suspect that he would you know try to send a ransom note and be stupid enough to say, "Here I am. Give me the money." You know, pretty much is what that would it gave it yeah, the impression of. So they asked this individual, you know, if there if he had any known enemies. To which he points out James Lewis and Leanne Lewis. However, at this time they did not go by these names because they are a very shady couple. 
extremely shady. But they would we'd later figure out that that's what their names are. Um, so some interesting information about James Lewis. Uh, at 19 year old, at 19 years old, this guy chased his mother around with an axe. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah. For, for, for a sign, something's not right up in the head. Um, yeah, he would also, in 1966, be committed to the Mississippi State Mental Hospital after taking 36 Anison pills and would be diagnosed with catatonic schizophrenia. So now you can start seeing, you know, he's a he's a troubled he's a troubled person, you know, he's starting to have a medical, you know, record built up on him. You know, he's got some trouble going on, you know, he just can't get it right. Starting to look back at, you know, Douglas's, you know, initial profile on who this guy could be. Yeah. So this is why a lot of people suspect that Lewis was the guy who 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 was behind the 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 murders. But um, and he does not do a good job of, of uh, clearing his name. Hmm. However, the case is still unsolved. But pretty much everyone who's looked into it believes that he's the guy who did it. Um, more information. Um, when it came to going to the Mississippi State Hospital, he claimed that he faked everything because he just simply wanted to avoid the Vietnam draft. You know. So in 1978, he was arrested for the murder of his neighbor Raymond West. Raymond West would be found butchered in pieces. Um, not in I don't think they found it in his home necessarily, but it was found on the property, I think. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head because it's that information that I uh, omitted. Um, that is a whole other can of worms to go down, you know, but uh, he was convicted of Raymond West's death. Um, yeah, so another reason why people think that it was uh, James Lewis was because if you're capable of killing somebody previously to this, it's very easy to think that you could carry this out, you yeah, know, the Tylenol murders. So, again, another nail in his coffin. Um, James was investigated by the, uh, by, by the FBI for the ransom note because, like I said, they found his fingerprint and the dude's account number, the, the dude who owned the account number, pretty much singled him out. Um... Around this time, too, once James started being associated with the case, uh, he would send a letter to Ronald Reagan, the then President of the United States, stating, if tax policies weren't reformed, that the President would be next. Fucking idiot. He literally threatened the President of the United States while this is going on. So this guy has issues. Now... I kind of want to know. Like, this Sorry, guy, just this, hang on. This the guy sounds. Stupidity. This guy sounds like he would out himself. Like, oh my god, he he did. He tried so hard to defend himself and did everything wrong. And, That's what this, and somehow this case is still open. Yeah, it's still open because of. Um, oh god, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. Because, like I said, there's a lot that happened that led to him um, being acquitted. Long story short, it was the mishandling of information and evidence, which is why he wasn't, you know, tried and sentenced for this. So, very well. I mean, and he is still alive. So he very well, you know, could admit to it one day. He could own up to it. We could find evidence that he owned up to it. But because of the mishandle of his of the evidence in his trial, they just they didn't uh, they didn't arrest him. 
So that's why he's still free. That and also some of the evidence was kind of lacking. However, he didn't get away scot-free. He did serve jail time for the ransom note. I'll get, I'll get back to that here in just a minute. Um, so, like I said, he sent, a, he sent the letter to the president after this. James then went to the media trying to clear his name and get his story out, as he so put it. Mm. You know, he felt like no one was listening to him, and that was the only way to get people to hear him. That's good. Uh, and for other stories that I already kind of partially know a bit out that we're going to discuss in the future, that is a very common trait that, you know, convicted that the people who actually perpetrated the crimes actually did was, ooh, excuse me, was that they made themselves public. You know, they, they pretty much put a target on them ba- on their back thinking that they can pull the impossible and change public opinion. Some people were kind of successful. Some people were not, you know. And like I said, when we get to those cases... We'll, we'll talk about them, but um, yeah, it's just interesting that I, I saw him do that whenever I know I recognize this in other people. Um, he sent a letter to the Department of Justice, and in it he claims how he and his wife uh, were assumed victims before facts could be seen, um, thus corrupting you know their public image from the get-go. Uh, he said one fact being that they moved a month prior to the incident out of Chicago. They weren't even in the Chicago area when this happened. And that, then that, that is true, you know. Um, they were in Kansas City, I believe. I think, yeah. Um, though it is uh, theorized by many people that a simple train or plane trip could have been more than possible to give him enough time to perpetrate the crime and come back. You know, uh, 25 days before the incident and like September trying to do some quick math, like September 4th or something like that, he and his wife did take a train trip to uh, Chicago and back from, uh, at this time, they were in New York. So there was that little train trip. So that's where the train and plane idea theory comes from. Uh, So like I said, it's possible to commit a timely manner in this this way. Uh, When he was picked up by the police, which, funny thing, the the way that they caught him uh, he went to go uh, rent books from a public library annex, and that's whenever the librarian uh, called 911 and said, yeah, I just let this dude check out books whose face matches everything I've seen on the news and the wanted posters and all of that. Here he is. He's over here. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> the librarian just pointed him out, and uh, that's whenever he was picked up and you know was you know talking to the police and all that where he gave a very interesting report. Uh, This is where he pretty much said, if I did it, this is how I would do it. More or less in in, the TLDR, that's what he said, giving them extreme details about the possible tampering that uh, he believed could happen with this case. He very often, and while he was in jail too, very often tried to play the... um, cooperating citizen who's just trying to help you know that he's a guy with information he's not the guy who did it he tried to play that angle the whole time and he's to this day he still tries to Um, well I mean to this day he doesn't really talk about it anymore um, but I'll get into that Um, like I said he would be sentenced to jail for extortion because of the ransom notes he was sent to jail for 20 years and he only served 13 he was released in 1995 it's my birth year um, later, he would go on to publish a book called Poison, The Doctor's Dilemma. 
Hmm. Why? I don't know. You've already been outed pretty much as suspect number one in a poison-related incident. And, and this dude just keeps adding to it. Yes, he just adds to his problems. And I'm it's just, like, that target's not big enough. Yeah. Right? It's, it's not big enough, man. I need more. I need more more eyes on me. I, I don't get the rationale. If Obviously, playing hypothetical, if I were to commit some massive you know, nationwide scare of this level, I would do everything I can to get the fuck out of the United States. I don't want anybody linking anything to me. I want to get the hell out of here until shit dies down. Come back whenever I'm pretty sure everything's okay. Be like, yeah, I was on a three-year vacation in Europe, you know, kind of just backpacking when all this happened. Yeah. You know, just shit like that. I would not try to out myself as public enemy number one because of this. I mean, he wasn't, he was not listed as public enemy number one around this time, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, he's not very subtle about it. No, he is not subtle in the slightest, and it just blows my mind. But like I said, he released this book in 2010, you know, and the basic plot uh, circled around a doctor investigating deaths uh, resulted by water poisoned with lead in a southern Missouri city. Yeah. Hmm. So it, it, you can see the, the, the just uh, you can see the stupidity. You can it's so thick you can cut it with a knife and smear it on toast. It's ridiculous. Around this time, whenever he uh, published the book, he went on public access TV to promote his book, where he gave a forty-minute interview. But unfortunately for him, most of the questions were directed to his role in the murders in the nineteen eighty-two you know Tylenol murders where he refused to comment and referred everyone to his lawyer. It was the only smart thing he did. The only smart thing he did was say, talk to my lawyer. You know, and, and like I said, there is so much more information about Lewis, but I had to just admit so much information just for time's sake because, you know, like I said, the benchmark I wanted these episodes to be was around an hour and we're already reaching the end of that. We haven't even begun to truly discuss the case as a whole. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, the basic gist of the 1982 Tylenol murders. It's just, it, it's ridiculous, you know? This is a case that's still... It, it's still unsolved. Still open, that's crazy. Still unsolved. Dude, it's happened a while ago, and there's all these sub, you know... Dude, it happened almost 40 years ago. 40 years. That's crazy. Yeah. Dude, I just... Blows your mind, man. And also, you know, it can't be understated just the effect it had on us as a whole. Like I said, people stopped taking Tylenol altogether. There were people going into hospitals claiming that they could be poisoned. They don't know. Nobody had enough evidence yet to say otherwise, you know? I mean, this case did change the way we package our medicine, food, everything, really. Yeah. Anything that we're going to eat. <laughs> And, and not even that, it also, it, it, just, sorry, I just keep going back to thinking, you know, about Mary Kellerman, it just, 12 years old, you know, you have this staple medicine that everyone's relying on, your dad gives it to you, and then that's it, you're yep. dead. A family of, you know, three members of a family, Adam, Stanley, and Teresa, also all dead. You know, one family suffered three losses on the same day, you know? Yeah. And then um, Paula Prince, I, I, I know I didn't mention it. She wasn't found until after the news reports were sent out 
about um, taking all the medicine off the shelves and all that, you know. She was found um, in her house after a courtesy call was sent out by a friend of hers because she missed a lunch date around five o'clock, um, around earlier that day. Police stopped by around 5 p.m. and they discovered her dead body after the announcement had already been, you know, about the, you know, yeah, don't take Tylenol or anything like that. She was believed to have died just hours before the news became public. How many deaths was that? Seven total confirmed. And like I said, then there was also the possible eighth victim of Jay, uh, Jay Adam Mitchell. And um, then there was the unrelated but related death of, um, fuck, I forgot his name for a second. Uh, I know I just said it and I'm, I'm hate myself that I forgot it already. John Stanisha. Stanisha, weird name. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, all in all, you know, seven people directly affected and another, you know, just casualty of, of the incident. And another that was suspected, you know, like I said, Ted, I, I really don't think is, is part of it. Um, he just, too many loose threads that people are just trying to force together. It just, it just doesn't sit with me. But the other two guys, Ronald Ar um Arnold and Lewis, they they really seem like good contenders, yeah. but I personally could not tell you which one I believe was more likely. They're both very suspicious. Very suspicious. There, there just so happened to be more information about uh, Lewis. Yeah, no thanks to him. <laughs> well, because he pretty yeah. much contacted every leading authority on criminals and criminal justice from the get-go, you know. Roger Arnold was just a man who was angry, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just, I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't get the rationale behind it. I don't uh, get how people can do that. I mean, to a certain extent, I can get the cold hard logic of, of certain things because I personally had a, an interest in criminal psychology and sociology and stuff like that from a young age, more out of a fascination. Um, and so, to an extent, I can get them. I can get the mentality it takes to get there, but, but just to as a pull person, the trigger on something like I that. Just, I mean, that's to actually do it is a whole other thing, and it just it, it it sits very heavily with all those affected. And it's in you know, like I said, even today we see the effects of it with all of our tamper-proof seals, with the Congress passing the Tylenol Act, you know. It's a big deal for a reason, and, and our generation especially just doesn't understand that. You know, one subject matter that we will probably discuss in the future um, was something I've constantly seen listed as the, the code children. You know, the, 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 the children who give the names to the codes and, and alerts that we are familiar with today. Like, if you work in retail, like uh, I did, uh, I worked at... Um, uh, what was it? Big Lots for a short time. And there I was first introduced to Code Adam. Adam was a, a boy who was taken out of the store by an unknown... I believe... I don't know too much about it because I haven't looked into it personally. But he was taken out of the store and, uh, was, to my knowledge, was never seen again. Uh, again, I haven't really looked into the information. I could be completely wrong. But Adam is the reason why we have Code Adam with retail workers. If there's a child missing or... A child who can't find their parents, that's Code Adam, you know, to help uh, the family in the store, hopefully still in the store, 
you know, be able to locate their child and, and uh, you know, make sure, avoid a disaster. Yeah. And then Amber alert. Amber was a young girl who was taken, I believe she was taken by her father, um, and later she would be found dead. And she would give rise to the Amber Alerts that we use today, uh, which would also tangentially uh, uh, be related to our Silver Alerts, which is for our elderly people. You know, obviously there's not a name tied to that one, but, yeah. you know, you know, it's just, it's stuff worth looking into because it, you really get to understand why these things are in place and you get a newfound appreciation for why they are so important, you know, and it's just, it can never be, you know, stated enough, just the effect that all, all these tragedies have on us, you know, they don't, they're not just moments in our life. They profoundly change us forever. Yeah. And a lot of these, uh, events, they stack uh, up on top of each other. Um, and they are tragedies, but ultimately we're safer because like somebody decided, Hey, we have to stop this from happening again. We don't want this to happen again. Exactly. And, but then again, we lead to that argument of, you know, preemptive measures, yeah. you know, why shouldn't we do this before it happens? Which absolutely we should be doing that. But a lot of people are afraid. And that's, that's the biggest problem we're facing right now is that we do want to take preemptive. And a lot of people do. We're trying to look ahead to the future. But well, here's the thing: is that we're always trying to look ahead, but we are always trying to look ahead as individuals. These aren't companies that are trying to look ahead. These aren't government bodies trying to look ahead. Unfortunately, it, it, it's become to a point where nine times out of ten, it takes a tragedy to make change happen. Yeah, and it really sucks. But at the same time, you know, being you know cold and logical here, it really takes. A tragedy of that measure to really be effective I think you know I I wish that wasn't the case but it seems to be that that's the only way that people are going to ever ever get the message across is you know it, you got to suffer you got to hurt I mean how else do kids you know obviously you want to protect your kids from anything that could hurt them but true to form how do kids learn without experiencing like stove is hot don't touch the stove they touch it of course they're gonna learn from that, a lot better than their mom just saying, "Hey, the stove is hot." Yeah. You know, they're gonna learn either way, but you know, pain is the greatest teacher. You know, that, that is something I've heard more often than not. Uh, it just it, it sucks. Yeah. You know, it really does. And but I'm thankful that you know we decided, hey, let's let's you know to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. So. And you know what? It wasn't just the it was just medicine, food too. You know, all sorts of stuff that I could easily be tampered with. Yeah. Um, you know, every time you go to the store, we check. We check to make sure these things are, you know Yeah, that they're that they're that they're uh, well protected and sealed. You know, that's why you'll see on a lot of like metal lids like you're trying to show me right yeah, now the with jar. the pickle yeah. jar, they'll have that um that seal top where you know, it would say if uh if the seal is broken, if the seal is popped, do not use item. Yeah. Because it's possible contamination, you know. And like like I've said with all of our medicine too, with the, the tamper seal, the, the foil that we have on top of it. Yeah. On a lot of our condiment bottles, how they have that plastic, you know, pull, you know, seal on it too. Yeah. yeah they're important measures for a reason. You know, it, it can never be stated enough. So, um, I did not expect this story to to you know visibly impact me so bad like it did but again it just it gives you a newfound appreciation you know for for why we have the things we do why we have the safety measures that we do
you know, they're, they're in place for a reason. And, you know, it, it's important to, to learn your history because without it, you know, I would have never learned why I would have just, you know, carried on accepting that eh, it's whatever. Yeah. And I could have probably bought a product down the road that I probably, like I have done in the past that probably shouldn't have bought, you know, because it, it was broken into, you know? Yeah. So again, really shouldn't have, but I did. But now because of me researching into this, it's just like, I, no, I will not. I will make sure my products are good. I will make sure that they are sealed and protected. Yeah. Because I am not, I'm not going to be, you know, another tragedy like that. I don't care how minimal the risk is. I, just, I don't want it. That's right. That's right. So. We are going to wrap up here, you know. Um, I did not write down the... Uh, information for any possible tips or helplines for cases like these. However, I will do my best to make it a common practice in the future for any unsolved cases that we look into. Um, however, when we get the website up and we upload the uh, these podcast episodes onto there, I will definitely add that information at a later time. Um, so if uh, you got the, uh, the lie correct, good on you, you know. You, you figured it out, you know, if you're as smart as Vlad here who kind of picked it out from the beginning, I, I really did try to try to, you know, <laughs> yes, steer you away. Yeah, I really yeah. wanted you to see, I really wanted to see if you would second guess yourself, but you, you, you held firm. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to work better on my lies. You know, <laughs> no, that was a good one though, but it uh, was, yeah, I, I, I thought a decade would seem, it seemed extreme, but seemed believable. Yeah, I just sort of figured Tylenol was one of those things that people really need in their life. And it was probably like... I mean, yeah, but like I said... It was, oh, no, you're right. Absolutely. You know, people die and it's going to affect cells on anything. But, yeah. Yeah, but that, that's... You know, it's surprising that they, they did such a good job. It just... Yeah, like, like I said, the, the way their damage control was just so impressive. Like I said, it, it's taught in business schools, you know, about how to handle certain events. Which, real quick... I just, I, it blows my mind that Johnson and Johnson can get ahead on, on such a tragedy like this so well, but then we look at similar instances now, like recently we heard about asbestos make, ooh, excuse me, being found in talcum powder products and had been found in talcum powder products for years and did nothing. And it just, it, it actually really affected them once that became public knowledge and they did not do a good job this time about getting ahead of the curve and, and stopping that. Yeah. You know, it's just, you, you gotta be careful with the products you send out. You cannot knowingly have products that are faulty by, you know, from the get go yeah. and delivered to the masses. It's just, it's not right. It's not ethical and it's not fair to your customers who rely on you. And absolutely destroy your business. Yeah. It, it makes me not want to buy the products, but like you said, you know, it, it's become such a staple product at this point. Many people rely on it still, you know, Am I going to stop taking Tylenol? No. <laughs> yeah. Am I going to have a newfound appreciation for Johnson Johnson? No, I'm not. <laughs> but with how they're treating things now, I'm not. However, I do appreciate the efforts that they did. I do appreciate the lengths that they went to because of this tragedy. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I'm going to have, you know, that moment of, of reflection every time now, you know, about the people who died, you know, it's a little acknowledgement for them. Because, like I said, it is shockingly tragic, you know, and just out of nowhere. But, um, yeah, I mean, that that's the thats the Tylenol murders in Chicago. You know, any uh, uh, closing remarks? Uh, no, but it, it is, I 
you know, I'm glad I know the story now. Yeah. I'm glad I know why why things are the way they are. And uh, yeah, that's that's honestly really really scary. Yeah, I mean, hell, like I said, I, I could not understand it enough. I cut out so much, and still the notes on this was double what we had for the Hawkinsville Goblins. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's just so much. But uh, real quick, uh, before I forget, I know this is the third time I said I'm about to sign off. Uh, we are working on, you know, getting our logo design and website up, uh, which it might be up by the time we have the next episode out. I am not going to make any promises. We both also have our own personal lives. Right now, this is just something we're doing as a hobby. However, if this, you know, does grow into something more, obviously we're going to invest more time into it, more research and, you know, more production into it. Um, so... Like I said, I don't want to make any promises to people and we not be able to follow through, but these are the things we're planning. Um, so soon we will have our own website. Oh, oh, I completely forgot. We went the whole episode without saying what our name is. We finally discovered, uh, figured out a name that we both agreed on. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We are going to call this podcast Files Obscura, you know. Because we, I, I, it just was something that kind of came to me out of nowhere and just kind of fit, you know? So I hope it's a name that you all enjoy because it's a name that we're going to stick to. Um, I've already changed uh, a lot of our emails and information over specifically for this podcast to, you know, stuff related to Files Obscura. Um, and like I said, we will hopefully have the website up by the time the next episode comes out. Um, please also, uh, if a highly doubt it but if any new information comes out by the time this comes out tuesday we are recording on sunday happy easter everyone you know the lady easter i hope you all had a great time um we should have uh like i said we should have the website up and more information there and um there there are talks about opening a possible forum section but uh undecided right now where people can discuss things and give more information and brainstorm or just talk about or learn what the what the public thinks about this that listens to our podcast. So possible, but again, no promises right now. Um, we have a possible next story. However, I'm kind of undecided which one I want to do next. But the three subject matters that I am looking into all are going to be very... Uh, I know this time that they're going to be heavily uh, information-based. Yeah. There's a lot of information in a lot of the next stories. Uh, I don't want to say which one we're going to do next here and change it. Um, so, without anything else, I'm done rambling. I'm done annoying you guys. I hope you all have a good one, and we will see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Adios.